Greetings. Welcome to In Conversation with Trevor, brought to you by Heart and Soul Broadcasting Services. I go beyond the headlines and beyond the sensational. Today I'm in conversation with fashion designer, trainer, and entrepreneur, Joyce Chimanye. If you enjoy this conversation, remember to subscribe, to like, and share. Let's get down to some work. Joyce Chimanyo, what a delight that you finally made it. Last time we had an appointment, you got a big flu, but I'm so happy that you're here. Welcome. Thank you, Trevor. I'm glad to be here and thank you for having me. Fantastic. Joyce, you, you've done so many things. And as I was looking through the stuff that you've done, beautiful stuff, uh, very creative. You brought us some of your work there. I say to myself, why does Joyce do what she does? So I'm going to ask you, why do you do what you do? Um, I'm an artist. I like to create. Uh, I like to imagine something and then um, um, make sure I materialize it. And I've had this love ever since I was in primary school. My mom was telling me. Hmm. Yeah. Did, your mom was telling you. Does your mom give you an indication where this love came from? So early. Um, she just said I'd like to like if I had dolls, I would I would like to actually make up uh the clothes for the dolls or even make up the doll. Um because back then um when um we used to stay in Mutare and uh uh, the parents were struggling to send us to school, the money was low. You had to be creative to make up your own things to play with. We didn't have money to actually go shopping for things. So you'd actually use what was available to actually make up things to entertain yourself with whilst mm -hmm. you're at home. Yeah. And and the passion carried on. And the passion carried on. And then um, I remember when we, I was in junior school, in high school, and my mom would, um, my mom and dad would buy us clothes. Uh, let's say Edgar's or Truett's, but we would not go at the beginning of the range when the stuff came into the shop, we would go at the end of the range when the stuff was on sale um, because of the financial commitments they had. Um, so then I said to my mom, please don't buy me any more clothes. Can I make my own things? Then she bought me a sewing machine. So I would actually, you know, she would give me the money, then I would actually go and buy fabric. And then I would actually make up... Um, something for myself as opposed to buying it from the retail space. And then also when I was at school and we had um, fellow students competing in, let's say, a lip singing competition back in the 90s. That was a big thing when people used to lip sing. Um, and also proms at the end of the year. So I used to take orders from my schoolmates and then I used to make the things for them over the school holidays because I was a boarder. Um, and... Um, for my A-levels, um, I was meant to have done biology, geography, and English. And then um, half, well, at the beginning of my lower six, I said to my dad, I don't want to do uh, biology. Can I drop biology and do art? I'd done art for Form 1 and Form 2, but I stopped it at Form 3 and Form 4. Then he said, okay, fine. Then I dropped uh, the biology, and I, then I did my A all-level art in my lower sixth year. I did my A-level art in my upper sixth year because I knew I wanted to do something that was art-related and it was fashion. And um, 
when I was in upper six, I applied to um, a couple of factories uh, to go in for an internship so that I could actually study the industry before actually going through and studying. And um, a factory in Harare actually took me on. It was called Cocotage, owned by a guy called Victor Cohen, mm-hmm. son to, um, no, a guy called Glenn Cohen, son to Victor Cohen. And I knew nothing, but they took me on. Because um, normally they would take on interns from the Boloyo Polytech. They worked closely with them. But they, they agreed to take me on. And then I was in the factory um, and I, you know, experiencing it, I knew this is what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, But my parents were not happy that I decided to do this. I was going to ask you that. No, they were not happy at all. What do they want you to do? I suppose when you, after I went into the factory, I realized why. Because in terms of your top management, uh, your creative staff, they were, they were in black ones, huh? Mm. They're all white. So I suppose black people experience clothing manufacturing from a tailor's perspective. So my dad thought I wanted to be a, a tailor. And he had, my mom's um, uncle was a tailor. Mm. And he had a table outside, um, like, Kumagurosa um, uh, in, in, in um, Buloyo. Yeah. Uh, though he was from Manika land, he went and settled in Buloyo. And so my they said, no, you can't do that. So they didn't even give me their blessings when I actually left to go to the factory. But it's something that I really wanted to do. So I just went ahead and did it anyway. Stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so interesting that your, your, school, um, your schoolmates are singing, uh, going through these proms and uh, lip syncing. You're not joining them there. To sing. You're deciding to rather make clothes for them. Fascinating, isn't it? Well, I couldn't sing. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't sing. I, I only... At least you made the decision or discovery early on that you can't sing, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And also, I just like the fact that someone would sit there and then describe to me an outfit that I wanted to look like this and look like that. Then I would actually draw it. And then uh, they'll be so happy when I come back with the outfit and it's looking as they have they had visualized it. Yeah. So that was very encouraging for me. So um, the people watching at home, um, they are kids wanting to go the route that you have chosen. And I think parents tend to push back on things that they're not familiar with. Mothers and fathers tend to say, no, don't go there like your parents did. What advice would you give to parents who are right now dealing with a child who's either finished O-levels or A-levels and says, I want to go and do, to be a, a, a designer or to be like Mofat Tagadiwa was, was here. What advice would you give those kind of parents? Um, I would advise parents also just look into the, in the um, areas they, they should want to go into, study, do your research. When you look at, uh, for example, fashion before COVID, um, the contribution of fashion into global GDP was uh, about three trillion US dollars. And I mean, everyone is wearing clothes. Mm. People are making clothes. Mm. Um, so it's uh, an industry that is very viable. But I suppose the training, when I've seen, I suppose why a lot of, especially Zimbabwean parents, I'll speak from a Zimbabwean yeah, point sure. of view, do not want their children to go into it, is because um, I suppose as a nation, we were affected economically over the years. And we've seen a lot of factories closing down. Uh, so when I was, when I first joined the industry, uh, 1991, we were exporting 
um, into the U.S. was exporting into um, Europe. We're exporting into South Africa as, as Zimbabwe. We had so many factories uh, between Harare, um, Kadoma, um, Bulawayo. There were so many factories. We had buyers coming in. Um, from Europe, from the US, to actually order our cotton wow. and to have the stuff man manufactured here. We so there was. Those good old days, don't yeah, you? And I'm always reminding young people that this is where we used to be and we need to, um, you know. Um, Can we ever go back there, particularly with the, the Chinese influence, the, the uh, coming down here and loading chips, uh, offloading chip stuff? Can, can we be competitive at all in, in this sector? I suppose this is where our government really needs to seriously look at into that, to look at what fashion is contributing, um, the figures is contributing into the global GDP, who are the brands that are manufacturing, where is the manufacturing being done, and then look at how they can protect our industry mm. in terms of secondhand clothing. I was speaking, I've just done a training with ZimTrade um, with, in partnership with uh, an expert from Germany, um, and she was once into garment manufacturing, and she's now into training. And um, you find that um, they, she was sharing the fact that she was in Rwanda a few um, months ago. And Rwanda has banned uh, the, the importation import mm. and the sale of second-hand clothing in their country. And I think it's really up to governments to look into what areas the people can benefit in terms of job creation mm. and make a deliberate um, effort to actually ban. I know they've, they've banned it. There's an SI that was put out uh, some years ago, but the policing, there's no policing because it's happening. Um and you find that, um, for example, in certain countries, there are certain things that um, duties on those things are heavy uh, in order to protect the, the local uh, industry. When you look at the case with Bangla, for example, like Bangladesh, mm. the Bangladeshi government came up with the policy, I think it was in the 70s, and uh, they decided to actually slowly reduce on imports and start producing. And at some point, Bangladesh was the second exporter, um, and they were not even undergoing into the U.S. They were exporting so much into the U.S. Mm. because of a policy that the government had put in place right. to actually protect the industry. So I think a conversation needs to be held between government, uh, the private sector, uh, and even young people to say what is our future in mm. terms of garment manufacturing in, in Zimbabwe and how we're going to secure jobs for young people mm. in this industry. Mm. Um, and then for people to actually, you know, execute that mm. plan. So pr protecting the market could, could be one way uh, where government inter intervention could help. You say there's a law, but uh, like all laws that we have in this country, most of them don't get policed. Mm. What other thing would you say the government ought to look at? What other issues would you say the private sector ought to look at to give impetus to uh, uh, producing our own, our own garments? We've got the cotton, and what else can we do? So I think on the on the cotton thing, if you look um, historically, we've had so many textile companies go into judicial management over the years. So I think that needs to be explored deeply to say what happened, why did they go into judicial management, what could have been done to actually save those um, um, companies. Um, and then secondly, the issue of technology transfer. So I was doing this training with this um, a German expert in partnership with Zimtrade. And you find that 
Uh, she was just saying that, I mean, the technology, because she's traveled wide uh, into different uh, countries, China being the main one uh, in terms of manufacturing. So she was retailing, she was designing and retailing from Europe, but she was having, she was outsourcing her uh, manufacturing into China, Bangladesh, uh, Vietnam. And she was saying the, the level of technology out there is amazing. Mm. Um, and I think there needs to be a partnership between government, the private sector, and the um, tertiary institutions and the technical institutions in terms of what are we t what we are teaching is it globally relevant? Because when I'm trying to make a garment here and I'm trying to use a machine that was made in 1990, mm -hmm. I still have machines like mm -hmm. that in my workshop. Mm -hmm. And you're trying to compete with a factory in China that is using a machine that was made last yeah. year. Definitely, in terms of efficiencies in production, we are nowhere near Absolutely. what those guys are producing. So we really need to look deeply into that and um, focus not on the importing of ready-made clothing. Um, but what can we do to capacitate the sector for it to be to be competitive? Yeah. Right. In, in, are you seeing any positive things within the industry? Uh, that you'd want to to to, ha to highlight. Yes, we need government to come in with the things that you've suggested. What are the are they positive things that we look around and say we've got we've got this, and with this we can we can uh, uh, jump onto the next thing. Definitely. So the training that I'm talking about with ZimTrade in partnership with this expert um, and um, they call it SES, which is based in Germany, is a positive. Because what is happening now is uh, um, Zintrade is part of the government and they are looking at getting experts from elsewhere to come and say, right. come and uh, capacitate our people. So that is uh, a positive. A yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Any other good thing? I suppose now you can look, you will see the fact that the government is putting money into the production of cotton. That is a positive because um, there is a workshop that I attended um, which was arranged by the um, Zimbabwe Clothing Manufacturers Association some time ago. And you find that farmers were tired of actually growing cotton because they were not getting paid enough mm. for the hard work that, that they do um, um, to produce this white gold, so they call it. So they were rather even going into other crops and moving away from cotton. Mm. So now you see the government has intervened and hopefully we're going to see a situation where people get fair wages for their work. Right. Yeah. Because without the farmers, we, there's no cotton to talk about. Mm. And yet the Zimbabwean cotton is one of the best cottons mm. globally. Um, and yet you find those who are growing it at some point were just saying, but you know what, we're not getting paid enough for this, so we're no longer doing we're gonna it. We're going to get out of yeah. mm. So you, you started at the bottom, Joyce. Um, as a merchandiser, pet, pattern maker, and grader, your first job, like you said, was at uh, Coco. Talk to me about your design inspiration. What is it that you look at? What experience motivates you to say, I'm going to create this? I'm, not, I'm looking at uh, the stuff that you brought here uh, from Zua, which is your, your company. So share with us your creative purposes, your, your creative process rather. What drives you to say, I want to do this? Okay, so um, I, I was born in Manikaland. Um, during the school holidays, I was either in Honde Valley with my uh, maternal grandmother or I was um, in Rusape with my paternal grandmother. 
And um, so we did everything to help out with, you know, in the homestead. We went to fetch firewood, going up the mountain. We went Kumunda. Um, so my grandparents, my father was the last born out of seven children. Um, so his children were the youngest. So when everyone else had started working, we were still, you know, school going age. And so we used to spend a lot of time um, Kumusha. Um, uh, planting the maize, harvesting the maize. Um, so you find I spend, if you've been to both places, it, it's... Um, Honda Valley. Honda Valley, it's, it's, it's lush, it's green. Um, when you... Rusape, Kumshakwa Baba is a lot of mountains. Um, um, a lot of uh, big, rocky mountains. So because I spend a lot of time there... Um, I suppose I, yeah, I appreciated uh, being out there. Initially, I didn't when I was younger, but as I grew older, <laughs> I did. Um, and especially now, even as I visit occasionally, it's um, it's just a reminder of, you know, how beautiful God's creation mm. is, you know. Um, and um, so you find that my, when you look at my range, um, my brand Zua, um, and my tagline is a natural experience. It's inspired by nature. So it's an eco-friendly uh, collection. It's uh, sustainable. Uh, it's conscious. I use a lot of um, uh, cotton that's made locally. Um, I coupled that with linen and um, hemp and um, a bit of denim. Uh, so I try and stay on the natural fabrics, though I do occasionally put in some man-made main fabrics, but it's mainly natural fabrics. And also because my um, my husband, uh, who I met when I was still at school, was with David White at Textiles. And so you find that I, um, I was exposed to um, Zimbabwean cotton from a very young age. And even as I traveled to Cape Town to study, I did a diploma in, in fashion design and uh, um, clothing technology in Cape Town. Uh, for my end of year pieces for the fashion show, I had um, my, my fiance then husband send me through um, fabric from Zimbabwe, from David White. So I did use um, a dr the drill for my collection and also Java. We used to have our own prints here. So people say, yeah. Zimbabwe doesn't have a print. We used to have beautiful prints, not just from David Whited, but from Contextiles. So I had that brought in from um, Zimbabwe to Cape Town, and that's what I use for my collection. So I am inspired by nature, um, and I, I believe that in all that we do, whether it's what we wear, what we consume, we must try and consume it in the most natural form as we possibly can. Mm. Yeah. You say we used to have... Uh what, a national, national fabric? Is that what you call it? Well, we used to have our own print. What is it called? Java. Oh, Java, oh, Java yes, which Java was print. which was uh, from David White Textiles. And Contextiles used to also do prints. But I don't know what the print collection was called. But the David White one was called What's Java. What happened to it? Well, I suppose, like we spoke about judicial management. That happened. And then, mm. yeah. Mm. I mean, that, that, that takes us straight to uh, the, ne the, the debate around the national dress. Um, you know, what we should do to be, to you know, to have a national dress. Can we impose uh, a national dress on a on people? So I'm, I'm, we're going to stop here and take a, a short break. Uh, please don't go away. Join us uh, on the other side as we look into the discussion on the need for a national dress. Can we have a national dress? Can we impose a national dress on people?
see you on the other side. I look at my business not just really as a way of making money, but it's also a way of evangelizing. My name is Craig. I'm the founder of the Mr. Rocker brand, Mr. Rocker London. We're an internationally accredited clothing brand which specializes in styling and tailoring. We style individuals and corporates. We also make suits, we make shirts, we make ties. The reason why I decided to style Trevor Nubin is because his brand in conversation with Trevor is also an international brand that reaches out to Zimbabweans, Africans and the world at large. So us being together as two international brands complemented each other. He has a very diverse audience. He's got people that watch him from all over the, the world. He produces shows every week. He must be having a hectic uh, a schedule. So where I come in is I can help him curate, bring together clothes and styling so that he does not have to think about it every week when he's shooting something. So I partnered with him so that every week he has to be the best version of himself. Thank you, man. You, know? you don't have to be a celebrity to be dressed. The same way that you get expert advice from a doctor, from a lawyer, from your accountant, from your dentist, is the same way that you need expert advice from a stylist like myself. I'm sure you, you watch In Conversation with Trevor. I'm sure you like what you see. I've dressed bank CEOs like Lance. Uh, I've dressed politicians. I've, I've dressed uh, 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 executives. And I've dressed ordinary people in general. And you have seen the results. The same way can happen to you. Thank you. Welcome back to our conversation with Joyce Chimanye, an entrepreneur, a trainer, and a fashion designer. So Joyce, in uh, 1995, you set up Zuba. It's never easy setting up a business. Talk to us about the journey of starting uh, Zuba, uh, the growing pains as it were. Um, so I got married and I had to leave my job in Harare and move to Chegutu. Um, for us to start our family. Um, so at some point I was at home uh, and I was not used to sitting. Yeah. Right. Um, so then I went back to my old school. I went to my high school was at a school called Jameson High School in Kadoma. So I went there and I was a PE teacher for like two months. And so um, we did the calculation with my husband. He said, I mean, so why... Why don't you just start your business? Uh, I'll help you, you know, set it up so that you just do the calculations. How much would you make doing this job as a PE teacher? And I mean, you're not even trained to do that or as opposed to opening your own company. So to be honest with you, uh, starting my own business was not really my um, idea. idea. It was my husband's idea. Um, and so I started actually in the house, uh, in one of the rooms. Um and then I had uh, a tailor 
um, who I used to, who I got from Harare to come down to Chekut and then we started like that. Two, the two of you. The two of us. So, um, and then at some point, um, uh, my husband would actually come and help me. In the evening when he came home, I would design, make the pattern, then he would come and cut um, and then uh, pile up the work, and then the tailor. This, this is stuff that he also did at work. Is that with David Whitehead? No, 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 he no, didn't. I thought I was teaching him how to do it. So he would help me because at some point I was pregnant and I was tired, so he would actually he was helping me along. Right. And then the tailor would come in and then sew. So then at some point um, we hired another young lady, and she was helping with the cutting. As he got busy, he couldn't help me. And then from there, we moved out of the house, we moved into the garage, we built the garage, and then we uh, moved into the garage. Then at some point, we extended the garage. Um, so at some point, we had about 30 people in the garage. That's where we were working from. From two, one person yeah. to two people, and then 30 people. And then 30 people. Um, so at that time, my, I wasn't doing the, the label, um, the brand. I was just doing um, corporate wear. So I was uh, doing uniforms for companies like DHL. Uh, at some point, they used to do their uniforms uh, within the different countries before they started having them all done in Brussels. Um, then another shipping company called Mediterranean Shipping, I did their uniforms, uh, tourism services, Dube Manika and Wacha, um, Rainbow Hotels, mm. Azimbezi and Rainbow Hotel, uh, Victoria Falls Safari Lodge. Econet. Um, Econet, I did do a bit of work for them. Okay. It wasn't that much. Okay. Um, Country uh, Road? Country Road, I um, met up with their buyer in, in 1995, and then I showed them a collection. So at some point, I was doing a collection for the, from them under a brand, my own brand called Rivers Natural Way. Mm -hmm. Then they decided they were going they were rebranding and they were branding all their products country road. So I was still designing and manufacturing for them, but under their own brand. They initially used to do their manufacturing out of Mauritius. Um, and then I met the buyer and she liked the quality of work I was doing. And then I started uh, manufacturing for them. So I manufactured for them for, designed and manufactured for them for 10 years, from 1995 to 2005. And then that's when we started having the challenges um, with the economy, and then it's, then they closed down their businesses. Mm. And then at that time as well, I also manufactured for one of their friends, a girl called Tessa, and she used to do a brand called Aztec mm -hmm. um, in the in the UK. So I was doing some of her manufacturing here, and then mm. we exporting to 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 the UK. Why corporate wear? So I realized as a business person that, um, a young business person, uh, that corporate way was, it was um, uh, um, another good way of actually making, uh, generating income. Because with the corporates, you'd approach them, um, they like the design, they pay 50% um, and then they pay 50% on delivery. Mm. Uh, so it was a good, um, 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 way of actually keeping your the factory, the small factory running mm. because the work was consistent. And then you find with the different companies after a year, two years, they're reordering their, their uniforms. Um, though it was a bit challenging with the women, uh, different bodies 
was a bit of a challenge. But for me, I also enjoyed it because it gave me time to meet a lot of women. Mm -hmm. So I, little, I made a lot of women when I did um, the corporate way. Yeah. Uh, some of them were still friends with me up to That's now. Great. Yeah. So it was, yes, a way of making money, but also it was a way of socializing. What, what was the biggest challenge for you in setting up Zuba way back then in 1995, when you look back? I suppose I, it, when I was having my family, because what happened is with my kids, I never stopped working. The only time I stopped working when I, when I was going to give birth. I used to go and give birth in Guero. I've got two sons. I used to go and give birth in Guero um, with, um, uh, at my mom's house. Um, so then I had to stop work. Um, and then when I had the babies, sometimes I would bring them along to my meetings. So I would. I remember the one time I was um, doing orders for Mediterranean and shipping, and I had my helper downstairs with my baby, um, uh, my youngest baby, and I would go downstairs to breastfeed, and then I'd go back up for my meeting. But the burden of being a mother and an entrepreneur, isn't yeah. it? We we tend, particularly us men, tend to forget that uh, uh, the, the, the challenge, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you find a lot of women. So you find I'm doing this uh, leather collection. It's something that I've uh, been wanting to do for a while. And the collection is called Mawambo. And it's a dedication to women, especially around about my age, who've mm. been wanting to do things, but they haven't been able to do that because they've been running with, mm. you know, um, raising families and stuff like that. Mm. And the fact that they're not where they would want to be is not because they lack the talent um, and the commitment, but it's because the, the time has been divided mm. between trying to do a business and raising what, what, a family. What, what lessons and what message would you have for uh, women looking at you right now and saying she, she's got this fashion uh, brand, these brands that she's got, she's doing very well, she's, she's a mother and an entrepreneur. What has been the things that have kept you going and made you the success that you've become? Well, I suppose for me, I would say really it's also my relationship with God. Mm. Because you find that I... Um, I look at my business not just really as a way of making money, but it's also a way of evangelizing. I get to meet a lot of people one-on-one -on -one when they come into the store and they want something made. So sometimes when we are meant to be discussing a dress for the wedding, we spend the next two hours discussing some other thing and even going into prayer. And also the fact that um, we, as we build our businesses, um, through the help of God, they can be generational. So it doesn't matter how small they are. Mm. We mustn't give up. We must keep um, feeding time and resources into them, no matter how small the resources are and how limited the time is. Mm. And you find that over time, they will grow into something. So I look at where I am right now is not where I really would want to be uh, when I compare myself to global brands. But I'm like, you know what, this is a seed that I'm sowing yeah. and the next generation will take it to another level. Where would you want to be? Where you are is not where you'd want to be. Where would you want to be? I would love a situation where um, Zimbabwean cotton is sold uh, globally, um, but with our story behind it. With our story behind it. Mm. Um, and um, yes, time and resources have been limited. Um, but yeah, over time, I'm really looking at a situation where, um, 
we get to understand the farmer in Gokwe mm. and we can um, uh, marry the uh, high fashion product with the farmer in Gokwe and appreciate the work they are putting into that particular product and also seeing um, an even distribution of the resources that are made from even our, our cotton mm. so that those who are farming it get the right wage for the work they're putting into mm. um, those, uh, those crops. Wow. Mm-hmm. We, 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 before we took a break, we, I promised the viewers that we'll talk about um, a subject which should ro- not really be controversial, but being Zimbabwe, it doesn't matter what you talk about, it becomes toxic and controversial. What are your views on the importance of a national dress? Point number one. Point number two, what would you think is the process of getting us there as a nation? Is it something that happens uh, organically? Is it something that uh, ought to be uh, commandeered from above? So you know what? Um, As a creative and having traveled to different countries and seen different cultures, um, you see there's a journey that uh, people walk to be where they are today. And um, I think as Zimbabweans, sometimes I think we are a bit hard on ourselves Mm -hmm. in terms of that national look when you look at our history. So when you look at our history, when we were colonized, uh, we had a situation where a lot of um, communities were converted into Christianity. Mm. And um, even the way you dressed, it was mandatory for you to look a certain way. So what we had traditionally was stripped away from us. And so the fact that we are so many years down the line and we don't have a distinctive look is not of lack of uh, creativity. Mm. Because when you look at, I mean, I was going through the... um, we were uh, walked through the permanent collection um, in our gallery, and um, the director Raphael was showing us the different art pieces from the different um, tribes within our nation. The art is deep. The art is deep, um, but you find that through uh, religion, a lot of stuff was taken away from us. Mm-hmm. Unlike, let's say, when you look at other communities in other parts of Africa. They that was never taken away from them. Mm. So they were, they lived it. We never got to actually live it mm. the way we would, we would have wanted to live it. Um, so I suppose I think there is need, um, and we are doing this even through the Fashion Council, we are going to be coming up with information to share to the pub- with the public of who we were before we were colonized. Mm. We had a look. Mm. We had jewelry. Um, and though you find that maybe uh, you can't compare us, for example, let's say with um, Arabs or in the desert who are covered from head to toe because of the climate that we live in. Mm. Uh, so when you look at, for example, um, uh, the natives, let's say, in um, in Namibia, you find that their attire is very limited mm. because of the, the type of weather they, were, yeah. they live in. And I suppose when you look at Zimbabwe as well, we're a very mm. cold country. So mm. you find that what we wore was also very um, uh, limited mm. because of the, the, the climate that we So you're saying in. we need to go back into the past. We need to go back into the past. doing that. Yes, the as the Fashion Council of Zimbabwe, FCOZ, we are uh, doing that, um, that research where mm. we're going back 
into our past mm -hmm. to say that this particular tribe used to look this particular way and so on and so on and so mm -hmm. on. So that as Zimbabweans, we also get inspiration um, regarding who we were before. And um, hopefully that would um, direct us uh, to say where we are going. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you find that... Um, I, 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 I was involved with the national dress through the first lady's office. Um, and um, they, I suppose uh, I was involved um, on the fashion show part, but I suppose on the research part, initially to come up with the different prints, I was not involved in that. Um, and I'm, uh, we, are, we are hoping that we are going to see more of a collaboration um, between them and the creatives to actually push this um, project um, forward. But also when I interact with young designers, you find that they have um, an idea of the way they feel they should be looking. Um, and I think that research we're talking about would also guide their um, collections as yeah. they move forward, okay. as they tap into the past. But So you, you understand the pushback from the public that uh, you, you, you can't impose a national dress on us uh it's got to evolve is that the sense that you're getting um i suppose someone needed to run with the initiative and um um the first lady's office did that and i'm uh hoping for um um as it grows that there'll be more collaboration between her office and the general public mm -hmm. Um, um, for the public to actually input into for um, a conversation to to start, yeah, and and create a national dress. Mm -hmm. um, let's let's go to your um, your your range of uh, products. Uh, should should we go there in terms of what is this, what is it that you actually your lines? Uh, what I don't know what you call, what's the technical term for it. Yeah. Do, do you want to take us there? I mean, your collection, bags, yeah. your collection. Yeah, shall we walk through your collection? Yeah, so um, like I mentioned earlier, I um, I love to use Zimbabwean cotton and I do um, mix it with a bit of linen, which is imported, hemp, um, denim, which is imported. Uh, but the main thrust is the, the locally uh, grown and processed uh, textile. Um, I like to use a natural fabric because uh, natural fabric breeds. Mm -hmm. um, so for example, if you wear a main made fabric, which has got, let's say, 100% um, polyester, it's a cotton polyester blend. If you put it on your skin, if you sweat, the fabric does not absorb your sweat. Mm. So you can actually, you have like sweat underneath your garment. Right. Uh, so I, I prefer to work with natural fabrics, whereby right. when you sweat, um, the fabric actually absorbs the the sweat, right. and it actually cools your, your body. And also in terms of uh, decomposing, the natural fabrics um, decompose. They go back into mm. the earth. But they're the, eco-friendly. Yeah, they're eco-friendly. Mm. But the main made fabrics don't, um, they don't decompose. Mm. So you actually have, you can have heaps and heaps of land masses of uh, uh, textiles. And as you know, you can't, um, uh, if you burn something, you're not destroying it. No, you're, you're just not. you're just converting it into another form of yeah. It's 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 uh, smoke that goes up into the air and then it stays there. Mm. It pollutes the the environment. 
Um, so I focus on um, uh, natural fabrics. And then with the leather that we've, uh, we started to do it in 2017, mm. but because I did not have the training and I did not have the equipment, I did a couple of items and I stopped. And so last year I did do some training in Cape Town and I did put together... Focusing on leather and technology. On leather, mm. yeah. Mm. Um, so though it's a small collection I'm doing, um, it's a, I'm birthing something that I'm hoping will, will grow from there. Fantastic. So it's, yeah. it's, this is the stuff that you brought for us to, 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 to have a look at. That's right. Um, what is this? This is a folder All right. um, that has a notebook inside. Mm -hmm. um, so... The Zuba range. Yeah. And this is a... This, that's a laptop bag. Okay. Mm -hmm. okay. So, in, and what we are going to do as well with the products is we are going to give them... Um, Zimbabwe names. Okay. Yeah. Zimbabwe names. So that it's also a way of just pushing the language out there into the world. Yeah. To say that we are Zimbabwean people. We ought to be language. proud of our languages yeah. and our culture. Mm -hmm. um, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you, you are big on training. Um, and that's, you're, you're focusing on, on that now in a, in a big way. Where does the passion come from? And talk us through the kind of training that you go through. So... Um, with my walk um, over time, and I've encountered young designers, and um, they um, have not received training, but they're saying, I'm a designer. And I've been to shows where you look at the garments and you're like, you know, um, if people carry on like this, they won't be able to put food on the table. So it was because of that that I decided to actually go into training. Um, so I started the training in 2016, and I started from home actually in my in my garage again <laughs> in uh, Chisipiti, and then later on I moved to Sam Levy's village where I've got a small classroom. Okay. Um, and um, I haven't. I mean, the process of actually doing the registration with the Ministry of uh, Higher Education, Education mm -hmm. uh, but I was not in a rush because I wanted to just even upscale myself mm -hmm. as a trainer. Mm -hmm. um, and then I've done trainings um, with other organizations. I did a training in uh, Rwanda with the Rwanda Development Board mm -hmm. and ITC where to upscale uh, women businesses. Uh, because I suppose I understand the journey where you can be working from home, but it doesn't mean Kuti, that's the beer and end of and all of it, you can actually upscale your yeah, business. Yeah. So I did a training with about 50 women uh, back in 2000, and um, I think it was 17. And then I've also uh, collaborated with the government of Zimbabwe, with the Ministry of uh, Industry, mm -hmm. and an organization called Agavis, which is a value addition chain from cotton to clothing, mm -hmm. where we did training for the Chitungiza Garment um, Center, um, I think two years in a row. And we also did training for... SMEs in Guero. Mm -hmm. And then I've also done training with uh, UNESCO, where we're training women living with disabilities uh, to make... Uh, well, what's the nature of the training? So the nature of the training, it ranges from fashion to garment construction. Okay. Yeah. Teaching people how to use the machine, how mm -hmm. to make patterns, how mm -hmm. to design. Do you find there's a lot of interest? And have you seen the, 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 the people that you've trained get out to do real things? Yeah, so for example, Chitungu is a garment uh, center, they're actually manufacturing. They've got a group that works in their manufacturing. Mm. Um, and with the 
UNESCO one with the women living with disabilities. We I engage them as and when I have work for the work that I've trained them mm. for. Then there's also uh, another group called the Islamic Women's Initiative, and we train them, but we train them on how to make reusable sanitary pads and uniforms. And they're setting up their own center in Heathcliff uh, Extension. Mm. Then we also train children from the ages of six to 19 on how to just appreciate what is fashion, what is garment um, construction, because what happens now is sometimes people get confused. Just because they like to wear clothes does not mean that they can work as a fashion designer right. or a garment maker. Right. So we encourage parents to bring their kids in. Then the kids experience it. Then they decide, no, you know what? I don't... This uh, is not what I want to I, do. I want to wear clothes. <laughs> I don't want to make clothes. <laughs> yeah. Right. Joyce, let's take a, a short break here. Uh, please don't go away. We'll be back. And... Uh, um, Joyce has been all over the world uh, on fashion shows and uh, uh, pageants. And uh, I'm also going to ask her if she's ever failed and how she's dealt with that failure. I know that a lot of um, parents don't like their children being involved in mm. pageants mm. because of um, some negative things that are associated with pageants. Welcome back to our conversation with Joyce Chimanya, an entrepreneur, fashion designer, and trainer. Joyce, you are a member of the Fashion Council of Zimbabwe, isn't it? Talk to us about what's the, what's the, what, what's the idea behind the Fashion Council of Zimbabwe and what work you do. Okay, so I suppose being in the fashion space, I um, realized the, that sometimes there's... Um, what, how can I say, opportunities are misappropriated, yeah. uh, resources, and yet there's actually a community, a fashion community in Zimbabwe. So in 2019, we came together as a group of creatives to form uh, the Fashion Council of Zimbabwe. And the Fashion Council of Zimbabwe is there to promote and to just help grow the fashion ecosystem mm. in Zimbabwe and to make sure that re when resources and opportunities come, they're directed to the right um, individuals and entities. Mm. What, what's, what's the uh, fashion ecosystem like? What, what should it ideally look like? Well, I suppose um, with, a, now, with, with most industries, how we've been affected by the challenges that we've been going through as a, um, a, a country. So you have uh, young creators who are not properly trained in order for them to engage in the business of fashion, uh, to produce garments, to sell garments. Um, okay. Is it about standardization or...? Uh... That too. Yeah. Um, so you have a lot of people who are not trained. Yeah. So we're trying to uh, ensure that people are scaled up and they're trained. We're trying to make sure that when opportunities come through, even let's say through Zim Trade for exports, we have the right people directed towards those particular uh, opportunities. Mm -hmm. So you find that because of the breakdown of the system, you had a lot of designers housed in factories, uh, but now you have a lot of designers who are doing their own things. Mm -hmm. um, and they don't have 
the proper training in terms of how to actually efficiently run uh, um, a fat, small factory workshop. So the uh, Fashion Council is stepped in to make sure that we have uh, programs that help to upscale. Are you making progress creatives. in that regard? Yes, we are. Uh, mm. Last year, we actually had quite a number of what we call creative uh, classes, where we had different um, organizations come in. Even Edgar's was involved, where we were um, imparting skills to young creatives on how to run their mm. businesses. Would you say you, where you are right now, you can cite a few achievements of the Fashion Council? Would, would be, yeah. Last year, we actually launched a campaign. It's called the Wisdom Campaign, where we are encouraging Zimbabweans to, first of all, profiling um, Zimbabwean creatives um, to the, 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 the public, and then uh, encouraging Zimbabweans to wear what is made locally um, every Friday. So we mm. have what we call the Wisdom Friday. Okay. So if you visit our um, uh, Instagram page, Fashion Council of Zimbabwe, as well as our Facebook page and our website, right. you will see the different activities that we have done around this uh, particular campaign to mm. bring awareness to Zimbabweans of what is happening in the fashion ecosystem within mm. the country. Fantastic. You, you've also traveled uh, throughout the world uh, to attend uh, fashion shows and pageants, uh, Wagadugu, Geneva, the Mercedes-Benz Fashion Week, Miss Zimbabwe, Miss Tourism, Miss Def, Sydney, and 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 Vindbook. What are what's the experience that you get from participating in these uh, fashion shows and pageants? What are, what are the learnings? Um, for me, yes, it, it's uh, about uh, showing um, um, other Africans what I'm doing in terms of my brand. But for me, the most important thing that I got out of that was just the networking amongst the different African creatives, a realization that we're all the same and we should work together to support one another. Um, and um, it's, it's exciting with this um, um, Africa Free Trade Agreement coming up yeah. that we're hoping to see our goods move from border to, you know, into different countries mm -hmm. and for us to be able to consume what is made on the continent. Mm -hmm. And um, there have been some pushback around, or rather, a discussion, debate around Miss Zimbabwe, uh, the pros and cons. What do you think is the most significant thing to come out of uh, having uh, something like Miss Zimbabwe? Um, I was involved with the Miss Zimbabwe pageant uh, back in the 90s under Kiki Divaris. Um, and um, I saw a lot of positives. I saw uh, especially the way she was there as a mother figure and grooming the girls mm. to be young ladies and the opportunities they got from participating in the pageant. Um, and um, I, I hope that that carries on in that particular um, um, fashion because I know that a lot of um, parents don't like their children being involved in pageants mm. because of um, some negative things that are associated with pageants. Mm. Um, but I... What are those negative things associated with pageants? Well, you have people taking advantage of young young ladies. Mm. Yeah. Um, where you're coming in under the guise of sponsorship and young ladies are taken advantage of. Uh, and yet we are there to actually just um, profile those young ladies, promote them, you know, and upscale them. Mm. And um, but I how much of that is happening? Abusing young young ladies coming in to participate in in these pageants. Uh, the times that I was involved, um, 
uh, like I said, I was involved with when Kiki Devaras yeah, was there. Yeah. And I really saw her being there um, and being um, like a mother figure mm. in the lives of those young ladies. Mm. Um, and then since her passing away, I haven't really been right. involved. Okay. Um, so I wouldn't have any information mm. um, relating to that. But I just knew that when I was, the time I was involved, there was a lot of, you know, taking care of the girls who came in mm. and giving them the best opportunities possible. Was they young, they impressionable? Mm -hmm. and, and they can be easily misled. That's that right. Saying, yeah? yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I suppose in areas like that, you really do need a lot of strong women who are there to... Um, mentor. Co-partner and mentor yeah. those girls, yeah. You, you've also been recognized um, a number of achievements, that uh, um, awards that you've gotten. Um, Ned Brood Designer of the Year. What other awards do you remember? Uh, can you rec recall that you've, you've received? Um, well, that was a long time ago. I think that was in the 90s. But it still matters, doesn't it? Yeah, it did, actually. <laughs> and then there was also, I think there was Netbrew, then there was um, a cigarette, um, was it the Castle BAT? Tankard? No. Netbrew. Netbrew was alcohol, right? Yes, yes. There was another cigarette company right. that was um, involved in those days in fashion. And also Zimsan, I did quite a bit of work with the, with Zimsan. They did the, a very good pageant called the Supermodel. And I was quite involved in that. As well as um, Carson and Dark and Lovely, the hair brand, used to have a big show. Um, so I used to do all the designing for the hairdressers for Southern Africa. Mm. And then we used to have the big show in uh, Johannesburg. Mm. Um, then um, I also got an award with the Zimbabwe National Chamber of Commerce mm. um, on the art side. Right. Yeah. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. well, when you look back, uh, is there one thing where you say, I made a mistake, I failed? I could re redo that. Is there any part of your life where you, you, if you had an opportunity, you'd press rewind and redo? Hmm. I suppose when I was doing the the corporate way, uh, I did lose quite a bit of money with mm. some orders. Yeah, um, they were situations where you would deliver something, and it's not up to the client's expectation. And they would just say, I want my money back. Mm. And then you'd need to actually run around and actually return that that money. Um, in terms of raising my boys, um, because of sometimes time at work, I wish I'd spent more time with them because you think the time How old is are they there. Um, 29 and um, 24. Mm. Yeah. So I wish I'd actually spent more time with them. There are things which I would have loved them to have done with me being there, and sometimes I was not available. So there's a price to pay for who you've become. Yeah, there is a price to pay. So even when you travel, um, when I used, I used to travel quite a bit, um, then I would have to, you know, leave them with their dad, ask my mom to come over to look after them. Mm. Yeah, and then maybe they've got something important that's happening that week and I'm not there. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I do look back and, yeah, regret some of those moments. So you, you started from your home, just you, and then you grew this business into, into what it is right now, where we can sit and talk about Zuba. When, when you look back at all that, what is the thing that surprises you about what you've done in your life? Um, 
the fact that no matter how small the seed is, if it's watered, it will grow. Yeah. Um, because sometimes I think we look at an idea and we think we can never achieve it. And especially when you compare yourself with global players, then you think it's unachievable. Um, but I've noticed that over time, when you put that seed into the ground and you do put water into it, maybe it's not as much water as the person next to you, mm. but it does it does grow. As the scripture says, do not despise small beginnings, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Joyce, um, I would love to play a game with you now, if you don't mind. Uh, my fun questions. Uh, what's your favorite uh, holiday destination? I love Zimbabwe. You love Zimbabwe. I love the Eastern Highlands. Wow. Yeah. Beautiful. Wonder Valley. Wonder Valley. Uh, Vumba. Mm. Yeah. Beautiful. What's your favorite app? App. Yeah. TikTok, WhatsApp. Instagram. I don't, I don't really like spending. I can't say favorite. I have to be there for for work. For, for work, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't. So you you are not a, um, a social media person. I'm not a social media person. Yeah. I have to be there for particular purpose, yeah. but I don't actually wow. spend that much time there. Okay. Yeah. And uh, what's your biggest fear? Going to hell. <laughs> <laughs> That one I was not expecting. Going to hell. Living, yeah, not living right and then, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So I have to work out my salvation with fear and trembling on a daily basis mm-hmm. because hell is real. Hell is real. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite thing to wear? Denims and t-shirt. Denims and t-shirt. Mm. Um, your pet hate? People driving badly on the road. Oh. Those yeah. who drive me around the bend. <laughs> People drive badly on the road. <laughs> Particularly those that drive worse texting and on the phone. Yeah. They make me mad. Yeah, it's it's become quite dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who's your role model? My mom. Mm. She's no longer here. She passed away in 2017. Mm. Um, because I watched her. She was a nurse, but she was also a businesswoman. And uh, even as we moved, I think we moved about five times and uh, from Mutare to Kadoma, from Kadoma to Gweru. And in Kadoma, we moved twice. And then in Gweru, we moved twice. And every time we moved, we moved with our chicken run. Hmm. Um, so for her to be able to sell her chickens and to be able to feed us through her chickens. Yeah. Um, so the removal truck would come and then would have the marata, the fence, the poles put into there and then she sets it up at the next place. So she was, um, though she was a nurse by profession, she, she was hardworking and did other things mm. to make sure that she helped our dad to, you know, provide for us. What was the one thing that you think is misunderstood about fashion, your industry? That there's no work. That mm. the, the garment just happens to just appear there. And yet there are there's so many processes. There's someone who's going to design that garment, who's going to make that pattern, who's going to grade it, who's going to sit and stitch it up and, you know, um, check the quality. And then it lands up in the shop. But when people come and they want stuff made, they think, you know, someone just stands there and then they just cut and then they 
do two and stitches and a lot yeah. of work. So uh, people don't want to it. pay for people's work, especially mm. in this country. People don't want to pay. Um, so you find young designers really struggle to make ends, make ends meet because people don't want to pay for their service. Mm. Well done for this, hey? Well done for this. Um, real work, uh, producing real products. Um, I can see this being exported uh, and earning forex for the country. So well done for that. Thank you, Trevor. Excellent. Shall we do books? Um, we love books on this show. Are oh, there books. <laughs> are there books that you've read, um, uh, Joyce, over the years? Three books at least that you recommend to our book-loving audience out there. Okay, so the first book was The Confessions of the Economic Hitman really? by author John Perkins. Yeah. Um, it made me realize that, you know, things happen and sometimes we don't even know the reason why things mm. happen. Yeah. Um, the, the second book? The second book was um, the, conf um, the Redemption of the African Warlord mm -hmm. by a guy called Joshua Blighty, mm -hmm. which looks into the, um, I don't know if you heard the, the term, the name Butt Naked, General Butt Naked. No. Who was a general in um, Liberia uh, during the time of Samuel Eldo and his rise to power, his spiritual influence, and his later conversion to Christianity. Yeah, and his testimony That's of, um, you know, what used to happen during the war. I found that very interesting. And the third one uh, is a book that I got when I traveled to Santa Fe, New Mexico for an art um, fair there. Um, the author was called Margaret. I forgot the surname. And the book was is called Away From Home. Mm. And it basically talks about um, the life of the, um, you know, Native American children, how mm. they were taken from their homes and put into boarding schools by force mm. and how the parents would actually go and camp outside the, the boarding schools for them to be able to see their children and that sort of thing. So that was also quite a disturbing book, but interesting. Fantastic. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing those books. They're very Emotional books, isn't it? Lots of uh, pain in there. Mm. Joyce, thank you so much for creating the time to to join me on uh, in conversation. You know, the the I, I love having conversations with people like you, people who produce real stuff, um, mm. which um, has the potential to create world, and they're actually creating the world and creating jobs uh, for a, for a lot of Zimbabweans. So well done for doing that. And you know. Every time I have these conversations, I'm amazed by just how much potential we have as a people. Point number one. Point number two, how much we don't realize what's happening um, in this country, which is beautiful, which should be supported. And I keep hearing people say, I wish the government could do A, B, C, D. Not to give us money, but to provide an environment that supports the things that we're doing. Like you're saying, you know, the textile sector, uh, cotton growing and... Um, um, adding value to that uh, to that cotton, Joyce. We wish you all the best, and uh, uh, we'll keep watching what you're doing. So, thank you so much for coming onto the show. Thanks, Trevor. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. Allow me to turn to our viewers, uh, Joyce, who are all over the show, who watch us every Monday on YouTube. We premiere Monday, 7 a.m. on YouTube, 7 a.m. Central African time. 
to ensure that you don't miss out on any of these quality conversations, I invite you please to press on this button and subscribe, like, and remember to share. We've, we, we love your comments below, uh, the videos, the criticisms, the suggestions as to who should come onto the show. Keep them coming. We've gone a step further, by the way. We've created podcasts which sit on our website. So visit our website where you'll find all the conversations that we have had over the past uh, two or so years for your listening pleasure. Until next time, cheers to you all.